Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for June 15th through 21st, Alma 13 through 16, Enter into the Rest of the Lord. And I'm going to go ahead and just apologize up front. Like, I am a whole basket full of emotions this week. I don't know what's going on, if it's something hormonal or if I'm just like not getting enough sleep or I don't have enough like constructive things to do during the day. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. Um, there's also like lots of, you know, current affair type stuff in the news that's like really bothering me. And then there's also, you know, the COVID stuff that's stressing me out. And then in the middle of all this, we have the chapters on Ammonihah. And Ammonihah, the whole scene at Ammonihah, especially where they burn the women and children, like I knew in an intellectual sense, like that's what happened. Like I knew the facts. I knew that that was the place where they burn the women and children, they burn the scriptures. Alma and Amulek like, break out of prison. Like I knew all these things happened. But it wasn't until we did Come Follow Me and I go through and I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'm delving deeply into the story and I'm learning so much about Alma and Amulek. I'm really identifying with them. And then we get to the part where they're burning the women and children. And y'all, I lost it. Like every night this week, and you'll probably hear it happen multiple times in this episode, but every night this week, as I've been reading my scriptures, I have just been bawling my eyes out. Here I go again. I'm bawling my eyes out again. Um, it has been so hard. And even coincidentally, and just for fun, you know, I like to read a lot and I've been reading a novel and it's historical fiction and everything like that. And it just so happens that the part that I'm reading in this particular novel, in this particular book, in this particular series, that there's like a house fire where women and children are burned. And it was very like graphic depiction of like what was going on. And so I was like reading this, but thinking of the women and children in Ammonihah and like my heart has broken over and over again, as I've thought about these women and children and what their last moments must have been like, their last thoughts must have been, as I've thought about Amulek watching this and knowing very well that his wife and children were probably in that group, that he was watching um, them be thrust into the fire, and what he was thinking, what he was feeling. And, you know, I was having emotions where I was really angry for him at first, like, Heavenly Father, why would you let this happen? And um, we're going to talk about that. And so I actually want to go through the story bit by bit and kind of go through, like, the different emotions I had as I was reading these different chapters. Um, I don't know how very much into Come Follow Me we're going to get, but... This is just something that has just kind of like taken over my world this week. So I kind of want to delve a little bit deeper into it with you. So I want to do a little rewind into last week's reading because I feel like the roots of this story kind of take place in those chapters that happened last week. And it really starts, I think, between the friendship between Alma and Amulek. So I want to start actually in Alma 8. 
Alma 8.19, it says, And as he entered the city, this is talking about Alma, he was a hungered, and he said to a man, Will ye give to a humble servant of God something to eat? And the man said unto him, I am a Nephite, and I know that thou art a holy prophet of God, for thou art the man whom an angel said in a vision thou shalt receive. Therefore, go with me into my house, and I will impart unto thee of my food, and I know that thou wilt be a blessing unto me in my house. And it came to pass that the man received him into his house, and the man was called Amulek, and he brought forth bread and meat and set before Alma. And it came to pass that Alma ate bread and was filled, and he blessed Amulek and his house, and he gave thanks unto God. And Alma tarried many days with Amulek before he began to preach unto the people. And we talked about this in the last episode, and I specifically mentioned, like, when you're team teaching, you really need to get to know someone and kind of have develop chemistry with them, so you know when to talk, and they know when to talk, and you can play off of each other. And we see, actually, when Alma and Amulek are talking, that they do a really good job of that. Alma does a really good job of knowing when to step back and letting Amulek speak. Amulek obviously has a powerful testimony of the gospel and knows his stuff, which shows me that Alma spent a lot of this time there at Amulek's house teaching Amulek, but you know, not only was he teaching Amulek, but he was also teaching Amulek's family, his servants, his household, you know, and in particularly in the society, when they talk about a household, they're not just talking about like the nuclear family, like we would have in our house, but they're talking about like extended family as well. So all of his kinfolk, his father and everything like that, like Alma is probably teaching all these people and probably having a lot of success. It seems like there was some kind of family history situation where there had been a miracle previously where there was some kind of writing on the temple. Let's actually take a look at that. It's in Alma 10 and in verse 2 it says, I am Amulek. I am the son of Gedona, who was the son of Ishmael, who was a descendant of Amenadi, And it was that same Amenadi who interpreted the writing, which was upon the wall of the temple, which was written by the finger of God. So there's some kind of writing that appeared one day in the temple. We don't know the backstory to this. I would love to know the backstory to this. I think that would be fascinating. But Amulek saying, you know, you guys know this whole like, you know, legend thing that happened here in the temple. Yeah, I'm the descendant of that. Well, so that was a family like story. That was a, that was in their family history. So the goodness and the miracles of God would be something that was not unknown to his family. Like the little seeds had already been planted there. Alma had to come along and just kind of like raise it up, right? So you had seeds of belief already there, I think, sprinkled throughout his family, at least according to me. That that would be my opinion, that it was already there. And Alma came along and just helped those grow and gave them correct doctrine and pointed them in the right direction, that kind of thing. So I think that a lot of them probably became converted because of the time that Alma spent there in Amulek's house. Okay, and that would be a big blessing to them because... They were able to know the Lord and they were able to believe in him and believe in Christ and have that goodness in their life. And I hope that they believed and that it was so good and sweet to them um, because of what's going to be coming up next. All right. Going along a little bit further in Alma 10, we get to the part where in verse 10, Amulek says, And I know the things whereof which he, Alma, hath testified are true. For behold, I say unto you that as the Lord liveth, even so he has sent his angel to make these things manifest unto me. And this he has done while Alma hath dwelt at my house. For behold, he hath blessed mine house, he hath blessed me and my women and my children and my father and my kinsfolk. 
yea, even all my kindred hath he blessed, and the blessing of the Lord hath rested upon us according to the words which he spake. Then he goes on, and then Amulek starts being questioned by lawyers, and he actually knows what the lawyers are thinking, and so he tells them to repent. And in 22 we see, Yea, and I say unto you that if it were not for the prayers of the righteous who are now in the land, that ye even now would be visited by utter destruction. Okay, pause. So who are the righteous that are now in the land? It's probably Amulek's family. Amulek's family and anyone that Alma and Amulek have been able to convert within the last, you know, little while that they've been preaching. That's who's praying, right? And that's why they're not being destroyed currently. So in 23, we see it is the prayers of the righteous that you, it is by the prayers of the righteous that ye are spared. Now, therefore, if you will cast out the righteous from among you, then will not the Lord stay his hand, but in his fierce anger, he will come against you. And then you shall be smitten by famine, by pestilence, by the sword, and the time is soon at hand, except you repent. And then Alma and Amulet go on and they continue to teach the people. They teach them lots of amazing things about Christ and the resurrection and the restoration of our bodies, about the priesthood, all kinds of really amazing, glorious doctrine that they're putting out there in Ammonihah, the most evil and destructive place, but they're placing this beautiful doctrine. It almost makes me think of like setting a really nice, beautiful table with like china and crystal glasses and like nice silverware and making a really nice meal and it's beautiful. And then having a bunch of like wild hooligans come in and like breaking the china and throwing the crystal on the floor. Like, I feel like that's kind of like what's happen- happening symbolically, I guess, with like the gospel concepts that are happening here. So fast forward then, this is just the story of Alma and Amulek. I'm not going to go into the gospel right now. We're going to talk about that later probably. But fast forward into Alma 14. Alma 14.6. Zeezrom says, oh yeah, guys, remember all that stuff I was doing? Yeah, I take it all back. It says, and it came to pass that Zeezrom was astonished at the words which had been spoken. And he also knew concerning the blindness of the minds, which he had caused among the people by his own lying words. And his soul began to be harrowed up under a consciousness of his own guilt. Yet he began to be encircled about by the pains of hell. And it came to pass that he began to cry unto his people, saying, Behold, I am guilty, and these men are spotless before God. And he began to plead for them from that time forth, and they reviled him, saying, Art thou possessed with the devil? And they spit upon him, and cast him out from among them, and also all those who believed in the words which had been spoken by Alma and Amulek. And they cast them out and sent men to cast stones at them. Now, they sent out all those who believed on the words of Alma and Amulek. But in 8, it says, and they brought their wives and children together. So that makes me think, and again, gospel according to Lexi, this is not, like, this is my interpretation of it. This is not necessarily, like, doctrine or gospel or anything like that. But I think that would tend to make me think that they took the men, the who are believers, and they took the men out of the city and were casting stones at the men to keep them away so that they could go in and take the women and children who are believers and gather them together. Um, because you know, if there had been guys in these like homes and stuff like that, there is no way that these guys would have let their women and children be taken without a fight. So it would make sense to me that that was probably why the men were removed so that they would have easy access to the women and children. And in eight, it says, and they brought their wives and children together and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, they caused that they should be cast into the fire. And they also brought forth their records, which contained the Holy Scriptures, and cast them into the fire also. 
that they might be burned and destroyed by the fire. And it came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek and carried them forth to the place of martyrdom, that they might witness the destruction of those who were consumed by the fire. And this is the point where that historical fiction novel that I was reading that described that house fire and the family and stuff inside of it, that I'm like, oh my gosh, like picturing and the smells and the sights and like, I mean, it got really real for me and I was really kind of shaken um, and really just feeling such an empathy and sympathy for Amulek as he's watching this. And we see in 10, he says, And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he was also pained. It doesn't say when Amulek saw the women and children who were cast into the fire. It says when he saw the pain that they were in when they were being consumed in the fire. And knowing what we know that it was probably his family that he was watching be in pain as they were cast into the fire. If that were me... Do you not know, like, at the very bottom, like, I would just be in so much anguish. Um, why, God, would you let this happen? You know, I did everything right. I took in this prophet of God that you sent, and I took care of him, and he and he converted my family. And now you're going to let them be burned? You're going to put them through this when it was their prayers that was keeping Ammonihah from being destroyed? Like, why would you do this? And especially when he turns to Alma, and he says, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore, let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us and save them from the flames. Now, if you look at the footnote for power, it has like a little footnote on it. And if you look at that, it's going to take you back into Alma 8, Alma 8, 30, 31, where it says, And Alma went forth and also Amulek among the people to declare the words of God unto them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they had power given unto them insomuch that they could neither be confined in dungeons, neither was it possible that any man could slay them. Nevertheless, they did not exercise their power until they were bound in bands and cast into prison. Now this was done that the Lord might show forth his power in them. They had power to deliver them, and they were constrained. We see in 11, Alma says unto him, The Spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth mine hand. For behold, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. And he doth suffer that they may do this thing, or that this people may do this thing unto them, according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgments which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just. And the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them in that last day. Um, You know, I just... Oh, that's so hard. Knowing that, like, Alma literally has the power to stop this. He can stop this. He can, you know, break all kinds of bands. He could loose the bands of the women and children. They could run away. I mean, he has the power to do this stuff, and he's constrained. How hard is that to watch your family burn knowing that you have the power to undo it, but you're not, the Spirit doesn't want you to. Your Heavenly Father doesn't want you to. Um. How hard is that? You know, and I wonder if Amulek's thinking at this time, yeah, a real blessing Alma is to my family. Look at how it turned out. Look at look at where they are and why. So that the judgments which he, which the Lord shall exercise upon them in his wrath might be just. 
I mean, I had such a hard time with that too. I'm like, Heavenly Father, like that just doesn't seem like a good reason to me. Um, but you know, he knows. Heavenly Father knows the beginning from the end. He knows why stuff has to happen. And also sometimes I think he lets us do things because we have our agency. Um, if he were to stop us every time we did something mean that hurt somebody else, then all of a sudden our agency would be gone. And that's a concept we know that is so important to our Heavenly Father and is so important to us that we fought a war in heaven before we came to earth for the ability to make choices, even choices like this. And so he's not going to take that agency away from us. Um, oh, but it made me so mad. Um, I just got so mad at Heavenly Father for this. Um, just why would you do this? And then, you know, I'm having these back and forths with my Heavenly Father. And of course, you know, I'm thinking specifically of Amulek and the women and children in Alma, but I think it's carrying on to things that are going on in our society today. Um, crimes that people are perpetrating against each other, disease that we have run, running through the land, ruining economies, people in pain for m- many different reasons. Why is this happening? And I think the answer is, is that there's not one answer. I think each individual scenario has a different reason. Um, but the answer that I got from my Heavenly Father wasn't even necessarily an answer to why. It was, Lexi, do you not think that I love those women and children more than Amulek did, even? Do you not think that I love Amulek more than he could possibly ever know? Do you not think that that didn't hurt me as much as it did Amulek and Alma to watch? And I had to say, yes, Lord. I know you love each of us perfectly. You definitely love those women and children, and you definitely want what is best for them. But you still let this happen, so this must have been okay in the grand scheme of things. you know. And if they were converted unto the Lord, they were received into his glory, as we're told there in the scriptures, then it turned out okay for them. And I have to believe that, that that short moment of pain and being in that fire that they were then welcomed into the arms of their Savior when they got to the other side, that he was waiting for them. And what a sweet reunion that must have been. But then going back to Alma and Amulek, having to watch this horrible scene, Amulek said unto Alma, and this is in verse 12, Behold, perhaps they will burn us also. Every other time when I have read the scriptures, I thought that was a question that Amulek asked of Alma in fear. But then I realized... No, he was asking that question in hope. After seeing his family burned alive, he wanted them to come after him too. I mean, just like the heartbreak and the story is so real to me this time. And y'all, I'm sorry, I'm like a bawling mess, but I just, I just felt this so intensely. All right. And then 13, and Alma said, be it according to the will of the Lord, but behold, our work is not finished. Therefore, they burn us not. I'm trying to think from Alma's perspective, you know, watching this friend and this loved one you've developed this like friendship and relationship with and the family that you've developed a friendship and relationship with, watching them all burn and knowing you have the power and then having to hold it back because the Lord is constraining you. Like, and then watching your friend go through this horrible emotional turmoil 
I mean, just, it just kills me. It kills me reading this, this description. Um, then after all this, they're cast into prison and the people are really mean to them. And I started thinking about, you know, I always love looking for the immediate goodness of God moments. And so I was thinking, I'm like, what were the immediate goodness of God moments for Alma and Amulek when they were cast into prison? And you know, the one that came to my mind was Amulek didn't have to go home to an empty house that night. He was cast into prison. He had other concerns to keep him semi-distracted from what had just happened to him. Um, And he was able to, you know, just, I think probably when you're in prison, you've got to take it day by day, tormentor by tormentor. Um, And he probably has this whole torment in his mind of worrying about, you know, what happened to his wife and children and mourning them and grieving them. But he's got something else on his plate to kind of, you know, keep him occupied instead of being at home by himself and alone. That has to be, I think, maybe a goodness of God moment. I don't know. It's the only thing that could like come to my mind. All right. So they're cast into prison and we read in 24, after the people have tormented them, tortured them, said really awful things to them after all this in 24, and the chief judge stood before them and smote them again and said unto them, if you have the power of God, deliver yourselves from these bands. And then we will believe that the Lord will destroy this people according to your words. And it came to pass that they all went forth and smote them, saying the same words, even until the last. And when the last had spoken unto them, the power of God was upon Alma and Amulek. And they rose and stood upon their feet. And Alma cried, saying, How long shall we suffer these great afflictions, O Lord? O Lord, give us strength according to our faith, which is in Christ, even unto deliverance. And they broke the cords with which they were bound, and when the people saw this, they began to flee, for the fear of destruction had come upon them. And it came to pass that so great was their fear that they fell to the earth, and did not obtain the outer door of the prison. And the earth shook mightily, and the walls of the prison were rent in twain, so that they fell to the earth. And the chief judge, and the lawyers, and the priests, and the teachers who smote Alma and Amulek were slain by the fall thereof. Then we go into 28. And Alma and Amulek came forth out of the prison, and they were not hurt. For the Lord had granted unto them power according to their faith which was in Christ. And they straightway came forth out of the prison, and they were loosed from their bands, and the prison had fallen to the earth, and every soul within the walls thereof, save it were Alma and Amulek, was slain. And they straightway came forth into the city. Okay, so there's power there to destroy all kinds of people and stuff like that. And they were able to do that. They were able to be delivered, but they hadn't been able to do that for the women and children. That must have been so hard, so hard to to live through and to come to terms with it, to still have a testimony and be able to walk away from that, still preaching and teaching. We see that they do that a little bit later on. Um, You know, I think a lot of times, We'll have a testimony of things and, you know, we'll have a testimony of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and things like that. And, you know, we continue on in our lives and then we hit these Ammonihah moments in our lives where we are dropped to our knees. Um, the wind's just knocked out of us. Our life is turned upside down. And when we come out of that, we're different and we're changed. And I think it's important that when we come out of those Ammonihah type moments, that we find our testimony again and use our experiences in Ammonihah to make us better people and to give us a deeper relationship with our Savior. Because, you know, Alma and Amulek have been testifying about the resurrection and the restoration of the body to perfect form 
and now their women and children are going to have that one day. You know, and relying upon your knowledge of the Savior, that he suffered for the pains and the afflictions of everyone on earth, that he knows what those women and children have gone through, that he knows what you're going through at this moment, and trusting in that, and letting that deepen your testimony in your Savior instead of scraping it away, because sometimes adversity does that. We, we let it kind of scrape away at our testimony, but choosing to buckle down and hold on even tighter I think sometimes that's the way our testimonies become cemented. We become converted in those moments, in those Ammonihas. All right, there, then there's another really hard thing that happens. And this is in Alma 15, in verse 1. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek were commanded to depart out of the city, and they departed, and came out even into the land of Sidon. And behold, there they found all the people who had departed out of the land of Ammonihah, who had been cast out and stoned, because they believed in the words of Alma. And you, don't you know, the first thing they're saying is like, oh, how's my wife and children? Like, how, how's my family? Is my family okay? Don't you know that's the first thing they were saying? And then two, and they related unto them all that had happened unto the wives and children, and also concerning themselves and their power of deliverance. Like, how hard was that to sit down and say, hey, Joe, I'm really sorry. I couldn't say your, save your wife and kid, but yeah, I, was, I broke out of prison just fine. Like, I mean, ugh. like the emotional turmoil that this this must have been so hard for Alma and Amulek. Um, and for the people listening, I really hope that it strengthened their testimonies instead of driving them away. I hope that the Spirit was there in spades, just over everyone, comforting and confirming and just showing them God's love at this really hard time. Because even reading this, I got really kind of sarcastic and snappy. I was like, really? You couldn't deliver the women and children, but you could save Alma and Amulek in the middle of an earthquake? Like, really? And so even I, who has like no personal investment in this at all, except for I'm just reading this story, was getting really upset by it. And so to actually have been someone in this story, it would have been so rough. I would have had such a hard time with it. And then and then it gets even worse. All right, in three. And Zeezrom lay sick at Sidon with a burning fever, which was caused by the great tribulations of his mind on account of his wickedness. For he supposed that Alma and Amulek were no more, and he supposed that they were slain because of his iniquity. And this great sin and his many other sins did harrow up his mind until it became exceedingly sore, having no deliverance. Therefore he began to be scorched with a burning heat. Now, when he had heard that Alma and Amulek were in the land of Sidon, his heart began to take courage, and he sent a message immediately unto them, desiring them to come unto him. And it came to pass that they went immediately, obeying the message which he had sent unto them. And they went into the house of Zeezrom, and they found him upon his bed, sick, being very low with a burning fever, and his mind was also exceedingly sore because of his iniquities. And when he saw them, he stretched forth his hand and besought them that they would heal him. And it came to pass that Alma said unto him, taking him by the hand, Believest thou in the power of Christ unto salvation? And he answered and say, Yea, I believe all the words that thou hast taught. And Alma said, If thou believest in the redemption of Christ, thou canst be healed. And he said, Yea, I believe according to thy words. 
And then Alma cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord our God, have mercy on this man, and heal him according to his faith, which is in Christ. And when Alma had said these words, Zeezrom leaped up upon his feet and began to walk. And this was done to the great astonishment of all the people. And the knowledge of this went forth throughout all the land of Sidon. So you couldn't save the women and children, but this guy who had like tortured and been part of like the whole bringing Alma and Amulek to trial was saved through his faith on Jesus Christ. Like I just, like the whole thing just really, really bothered me. I just, that I had to come back to Lexi, those women and children were my children. I took care of them. I had them the whole time. They were in my hands. I never let them out of my hands. And that's the only way I can be okay with this whole thing. Um, see, wasn't that a roller coaster ride? Like, I have never been that deeply entrenched in a Book of Mormon story, I don't think. Like, bawling nightly every time I'm reading my scriptures because I'm like, just every night the wound just gets a little deeper and a little bit more salt gets poured into it. Um, just really feeling it very intensely. And so, yeah. That was my Alma and Amulek experience this week. Um, and in doing so, I had to research a lot of different conference talks because I was like, I need to find peace with this at some point. So there's some things that I learned about Alma and Amulek from conference talks that I want to share with you now. The first thing is from Dieter F. Uchtdorf. has an amazing conference talk, and it's called Learn from Alma and Amulek from the October 2016 General Conference. And he talks about Alma the Younger and Amulek, and he says two questions. First, what can I learn from Alma the Younger's story? You know, the story of his conversion from the angel and things like that. And second, how am I like Amulek? And I love what he says about Alma. And he says, Alma was an exceptionally gifted and capable man. It may have been easy to think that he did not need anyone's help. Nevertheless, what did Alma do when he returned to Ammonihah? Alma found Amulek and asked for his help. And Alma received help. For whatever reason, sometimes we as leaders are reluctant to find and ask our Amuleks. Perhaps we think that we can do the work better by ourselves, or we are reluctant to inconvenience others, or we assume that others would not want to participate. Too often, we hesitate to invite people to use their God-given talents and engage in the work of salvation. All right, pause. So this past week, I had a sister message me and say, hey, I've just been called as a primary president. Like, if you have any advice, you know, just whatever you can think of, send my way. And like the first thing I could think of to tell her was the first thing someone had told me, but I didn't listen to it. It was use your counselors. Find others that will help you and let them do what God has for them to do. I tried so hard to do everything on my own. I tried to take it all on because I wanted to make things easier for my counselors. I didn't want them to have to handle all these different responsibilities. I knew they had a lot going on in their lives. So I was like, I can handle it. I can do it. But they're not there to have me handle their responsibilities. They need to be able to handle stuff too. And so being able to delegate and give up some of that control was something that I definitely had to learn in my role as primary president when I had to do that. And it's interesting to me that Alma kind of had something similar. Alma could have probably gone in there and taken Ammonihah by, by storm and he had, you know, the perfect speech and things like that and he would have been great. But Amulek 
helped him out, I think, a lot by just being a familiar face of someone who was well-respected in that society. And now remember, everybody here who's going after Alma and Amulek is after the Order of Nihor, which is all about, you know, who's the most popular, and we're preaching for money, and we care about wealth and status more than we care about anything else. And, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to be okay. And like that, like that's the whole Nihor thing. And so they didn't really care about Alma because he was telling them, first of all, everything you're teaching is not true, guys. And you you really do need to care about the way you behave. And, And that sure didn't make Alma popular with them. But having Amulek there, someone who had status in that society, helped him out a little bit. It gave him some credibility. And also when there was the whole thing about the, you only bring one witness. No, now we have Amulek. We have a second witness. And they needed that to be able to get into that society there. Or to, I guess, make the message more believable. All right, going back to Dieter F. Uchtdorf. He says, think of the Savior. Did he begin to establish his church all alone? No. His message was not, stand back, I'll handle this. Rather, it was, come follow me. He inspired, invited, instructed, and then trusted his followers to do the things which ye have seen me do. In this way, Jesus Christ built up not only his church, but also his servants. In whatever position you currently serve, whether you are a deacon's quorum president, a stake president, or an area president, to be successful, you must find your amulex. It may be someone who is unassuming or even invisible within your congregations. It may be someone who seems unwilling or unable to serve. Your amulex may be young or old, men or women, inexperienced, tired, or not active in the church. But what may not be seen at first sight is that they are hoping to hear from you the words, the Lord needs you. I need you. You know, I started thinking about this too back several years ago when I was having anxiety attacks that, you know, I was trying so hard to go to sacrament meeting every week and my anxiety attacks focused on sacrament meeting. That was like my trigger. And it was one of those things where it took months to get over it. But I was really, really struggling with coming to church to the point where I was like, I can't have a calling like right now. Like I can't do anything because I can't guarantee that I'm going to be there on Sunday and not like out trying to like breathe in the parking lot. You know, I just can't guarantee that. And our stake presidency must have been inspired because when I went in to get my temple recommend renewed, you know, you have to go in for like the stake interview. And I was being interviewed by one of the members of the stake presidency. And he was like, oh, by the way, we have this new position that we're creating in the stake. And we were wondering if you would know anybody good for this. It's a social media coordinator for the stake. They'd be putting out news from the stake about different things and helping connect people on social media. And at the time I was like super Facebook like focused. Like I loved social media. I've kind of stepped away from it since then. But at the time, like I was really super into it. Like I did it for work. Like that was my job there at the library that I was at. And I was looking at him like, is he trying to like beat around the bush and kind of ask me like circumspectly, like, hey, are you interested in this? Like I tried to figure out if it, no, he just really wanted to know if I knew anyone that would be good at it. And I was like, well, would you consider me? And he's like, yes, I would love to consider you. He's, and he said, you know, what ideas do you have? And I told him some of my ideas. And at that point, they were able to call me to be the social media public relations specialist or whatever. I don't even remember the title for the stake. Which was perfect for me because I was involved. I was talking to members even when I couldn't physically make it to church. I still had a calling that I could do and that I could feel like I was getting something accomplished for the Lord. 
and helping the Lord out in some small way, even when my body wouldn't let me participate at church all the time. And that was such a beautiful time for me to know that I was still valuable to the Lord, even when I felt like a failure when it came to attending church. And Dieter F. Uchtdorf talks about this when he says, Deep down, many want to serve their God. They want to be an instrument in his hands. They want to thrust in their sickle and strive with their might to prepare the earth for the return of the Savior. They want to build his church, but they are reluctant to begin. Often, they wait to be asked. I invite you to think of those in your branches and wards, in your missions and stakes, who need to hear a call to action. The Lord has been working with them, preparing them, softening their hearts. Find them by seeing with your heart. Reach out to them. Teach them. Inspire them. Ask them. Share with them the words of the angel to Amulek, that the blessing of the Lord shall rest upon them in their house. You may be surprised to discover a valiant servant of the Lord who otherwise would have remained hidden. I love that concept of finding your amulet. That's a really good lesson, I think, to take from the story, aside from all the crying and everything that I did. Um, then another conference talk I found that was really good and really helpful to me was To Be Healed. And it's by Richard G. Scott from the April 1994 session of conference. And he starts off talking about Easter and how it brings thoughts of the Savior, his life, his atonement, his resurrection, his love. He has risen from the dead with healing in his wings. So pause. For, so for all of those of us who have suffered those Ammonihah moments, the Savior and his atonement, he has risen from the dead with healing in his wings. The atonement is specifically to cover those Ammonihah moments, and it's to cover all the other moments in between as well. Richard G. Scott continues, Oh, how we all need the healing of the Redeemer that only the Redeemer can provide. Mine is a message of hope for you who yearn for relief from heavy burdens that have come through no conscious act of your own while you have lived a worthy life. It is based on principles embodied in the teachings of the Savior. Your challenge may be with a serious physical disability, a struggle with lingering illness, or a daily wrestle with a life-threatening disease. It may have roots in the death of a loved one, the anguish caused by another bound by sin, or come from abuse in any of its evil forms. Whatever the cause, I testify that lasting relief is available on conditions established by the Lord. It is important to understand that his healing can mean being cured or having your burdens eased or even coming to realize that it is worth it to endure to the end patiently. For God needs brave sons and daughters who are willing to be polished when in his wisdom, that is his will. Okay, pause. You know, sometimes we pray to be cured from something or have a certain burden removed from us. And sometimes that's not the answer. The answer is that we just need to be able to endure it well. And that's, I think, what Richard G. Scott is saying. All right, unpause. Back to Richard G. Scott. Recognize that some challenges in this life will not be resolved here on earth. Paul pled thrice that a thorn in the flesh be removed. The Lord simply answered, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He gave Paul strength to compensate so that he could live a most meaningful life. He wants you to learn how to be cured when that is his will and how to obtain strength to live with your challenge when he intends it to be an instrument for growth. In either case, the Redeemer will support you. That is why he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you feel you can do no more, temporarily lay your challenges at his feet. The scriptures tell you how. 
For example, when the oppressed people of Alma did pour out their hearts to him, he did know the thoughts of their hearts, and the Lord blessed them, saying, I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that you cannot fill them, that you may know that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. Okay, pause. I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. God was there when those women and children were burned in Ammonihah. He was with them. He was with Alma and Amulek. He was with everyone who was there that night. And he visited them in their afflictions. Okay, unpause. And the Lord did strengthen them that they could bear up their burdens with ease. And they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. Now, remember, this particular situation that they're talking about is not Alma the Younger. This is Alma the Elder, where he was in in captivity. But still, I think the lesson from this applies to Alma the Younger. All right. Continuing on with Richard G. Scott. Submitting cheerfully and with patience to all his will lets you learn precious, if difficult, lessons and eternal truths that will yield blessings. The example of Alma the Younger and Amulek is enlightening. While striving to do good among the people of Ammonihah, they were taken captive. Amulek trusted his more seasoned companion, Alma, who led him to greater confidence in the Lord. Forced to observe women and children consumed by fire, Amulek said, Perhaps they will burn us also. Alma answered, Be it according to the will of the Lord, a vital principle. But our work is not finished, therefore they burn us not. The chief judge and others over many days smote, spit upon, starved, questioned, and harassed them with mocking words and threats. Though commanded to speak, they withstood, bound and naked, in silence, waiting patiently for the Lord to inspire them to act. Then the power of God was upon Alma and Amulek, and they rose. Alma cried, Give us strength according to our faith which is in Christ, even unto deliverance. And they broke the cords with which they were bound. The earth shook, the prison walls were rent, and all who smote Alma and Amulek were slain, and they were freed. On another occasion, Alma prayed, O Lord, have mercy on this man and heal him according to his faith which is in Christ. These two examples give the essential key to healing. The Lord will give relief with divine power when you seek deliverance in humility and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. Right? That's what they always say in conference. End quote. The Lord will give us not even necessarily cured or uncured. He will be with us. He will strengthen us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what happens to Alma and Amulek. To finish up the story of Alma and Amulek, I want to talk about what happens to Amulek. And this is in Alma 15 at the end. And it came to pass, this is 16, and it came to pass that Alma and Amulek, Amulek having forsaken all his gold and his silver and his precious things, which were in the land of Ammonihah for the word of God, and he being rejected by those who were once his friends and also by his father and his kindred. Now, as I said, Alma, having seen all these things, therefore he took Amulek and came over to the land of Zarahemla and took him into his own house. And he did administer unto him in his tribulations, and he strengthened him in the Lord. Now, when we talk about ministering in the church, I love that it says he administered unto him, but I think ministering could be put in there too. He ministered unto him in his tribulations and strengthened him in the Lord. Isn't that the goal of ministering? Any ministering work that we have is to strengthen those who are in tribulations and strengthen their testimony in the Lord and in his love. I think that's so beautiful. In Alma 16, the next chapter, verse 13, And Alma and Amulek went forth preaching repentance to the people in their temples and in their sanctuaries and also in their synagogues, which were built after the manner of the Jews. 
And as many as would hear their words unto them, they did impart the word of God without any respect of persons continually. And thus did Alma and Amulet go forth, and also many more who had been chosen for the work, to preach the word throughout all the land. And the establishment of the church became general throughout all the land, in all the region round about, among all the people of the Nephites. 16. And there was no inequality among them. The Lord did pour out his Spirit on all the face of the land to prepare the minds of the children of men, or to prepare their hearts to receive the word which should be taught among them at the time of his coming. That's what happened to Amulek. Alma took him into his house. He was strengthened in his faith faith of the Lord. And then he went forth and shared his testimony with others and strengthened others and ministered unto them. Think of those Ammonihah moments in your life, those moments where you are brought to your knees. Think of how they've strengthened you over the years. How have they strengthened your connection with your Savior, your faith in your Lord and your Savior, your relationship with your Heavenly Father? How have they strengthened that? And then go forth and testify of those moments. Use that strength to minister and to help build up others and build their own relationships with the Lord. That's the story, the moral of the story that I see from Amulek and Alma. And it took me a while to get there, guys. I'm not going to lie. I was really angry at this story for a while this week. Um, It took me a while to get there, to get to the point where I learned the moral is you go through something really hard and God is there. He's in the details of the whole thing. And then you get to the other side and you can testify of how he got you through. And then you can strengthen others to get through their Ammonihas. Now, there's a song that I want to end this episode with because I heard it on the radio. And, you know, again, I've been bawling all week long about Ammonihah. And so when I heard this song, I started bawling again because it reminded me so much of what had gone on. And it's called One Day by Cochran and Company. And some of my favorite lyrics that reminded me of Ammonihah was, One day there will be no more lives taken too soon. One day there will be no more need for a hospital room. One day every tear that falls will be wiped with his hand. One day we will see the promised land. Hallelujah, there will be healing. From this heartbreak we've been feeling. We'll sing in the darkest night, because we know that the light will come, and there will be healing. Hallelujah. One day, there will be no more anger left in our eyes. One day, the color of our skin won't cause a divide. One day, we'll be family standing hand in hand, and we will see the promised land. Hallelujah, there will be healing from this heartbreak we've been feeling. We'll sing in the darkest night, because we know that the light will come, and there will be healing. Hallelujah. I want to leave you with my testimony of our Savior of his healing, the healing in his wings, the blessings of the atonement that are there for us, even in our Ammonihas, and how they can strengthen us so that we can then turn and bear testimony to others of how Christ visits his people in their weakness. His grace is sufficient for us, and he is always there, and he loves us. I hope you guys have an awesome week. Here we go. This is One Day by Cochran and Company. Bye, y'all. One day there'll be no more waiting left for our souls One day there'll be no more children longing for home One day when the kingdom comes right here where we stand We will see the promised land Mm. 
One day there'll be no more lives taken too soon. One day there'll be no more need for a hospital. One day every tear that falls will be wiped by His hand, and we will see the promised land. Skin won't cause a divide. One day we'll be family standing hand in hand, and we will see the promised land. We will see the promised land. Hallelujah! There will be healing from this heartache we've been feeling. We'll sing in the The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.